Welcome to the very first episode ever of the Zoom Green Room, and probably the last episode after we've talked. That's amazing. <laughs> my, my premier yeah. guest oh, has had more arts jobs than you can probably even think of. He's a great <laughs> supporter. He's a cat parent. It's Jason Chalu. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm always smiling when I hear your voice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's just a counteract of misery. Yeah. <laughs> The constant state of dread. <laughs> this is a, a new chat pod I'm doing that I want to go over with my art uh, buds and sort of go on the very simple premise of past, present, and future. Each one getting a little darker than the last. Yeah. Naturally. So past, I mean, I don't know that, I was trying to think about this, and I don't know that much about you from before we met. Like when you came, we met, I actually started at Tarragon Theater before you. Yes, that's true. You stayed late, much later than I did, but I, I was there when you arrived. But what led you into that job? Like, what had you been doing? Well, actually, so as you know, I grew up in um, Sudbury, uh, Sudbury, Ontario, and at a very young age, I, I started to get really involved with the arts. It's, you know, a lot of people make their jokes about these northern towns and stuff, but I have to tell you, Sudbury is certainly on the map for um, providing a lot of artistic outlets. And um, I sort of really caught that acting um, bug and the love of theater and backstage um, probably around grade seven, grade eight. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that carried on into my high school years. And um, I guess that kind of propelled me into auditioning for various theater programs in uh, Toronto and the GTA. So sort of catapulted me, my love of theater sort of got me into wanting to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to the University of Toronto and the Sheridan Combined Program, graduated from there in 2001. And then, you know, these dreams of being the next Brad Pitt, or in my case, Angelie Jolie, yeah. um, <laughs> I, you know, didn't really pan out. And I had a, a really fun ride, uh, you know, auditioning a lot, landed some gigs, did a lot of theater, fringe festival. But then I realized, um, you, you know, were broke. Really, that I was Sorry. broke. Yeah. That, yeah, that I was yeah. broke. These fringe and, festivals pay great. Like yeah. you're just like making bank on those fringe shows. Big money. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, in between there, you know, to, to make a, a long story relatively short about what led me to, to the sort of the theaters is that um, I worked in the fashion industry and I worked in the food and beverage industry and, you know, all the jobs that all of us performers do of waiting tables. And I, I, more so than the idea of being broke. Because again, I had a really great experience with my auditioning and landing jobs. So it wasn't like I left the industry because I wasn't doing anything. Um, but I no longer 
at a very early age, I no longer wanted to be just another face in a room auditioning for something mm -hmm. that always felt like it was already cast. You know, yeah. like I, you know, as much as I love the process and everything like that, it just wasn't for me. And so I had seen a lot of shows at Tarragon and, you know, whatever money I had generally would go into uh, seeing some sort of show. And at that time, there was a lot going on in our city. Yeah. I, I you know, it was a different time and, and you could go in and see something at the Princess of Wales Theatre if musical theatre was your bag or just all of these indie performers and you know even like stuff like the Cadillac Lounge going you know to the back of the oh, Cadillac yeah. Lounge and yeah. see performers so I, I learned in university that any great performer should really understand backstage should really understand what it is to be part of the crew, to understand stage managing and, and all of those things. And I always, I love that because as silly and goofy as you know I am, I actually really enjoyed the structure of uh, you know, stage management and putting a binder together and understanding lighting grids. And even though like those were not necessarily things I was actively doing. I had an interest in it. Yeah. And Tarragon um, was a theater that I, I I loved so much. I I was able to experience so many unbelievable performances on that stage. So it was sort of a no brainer that I would want to work there. And ultimately, uh, a job in the patron services department became available which is when you and I finally met yep. that faded summer day. <laughs> I can't even remember. I can't even I remember. Know. I can't remember. It's, it's, it's so funny. I was just blindly slinging drinks. Yeah, exactly. I probably yeah. walked in and I was like, um, we're going to, we're going to clean up that concession stand. Like, <laughs> yeah. The first thing we're going to do. Yeah. And, uh, but no, I, um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to meet a, a pretty fantastic general manager and um, uh, a lady at the patron services that had been there for, you know, years and years. 500 years, yeah. 500 years, literally yeah. came out of, I think, one of those- um, what, It's what a co-op. A co-op place. Yeah. Ended up, uh, you know, winning a, uh, she got the administrative Dora award. I mean, like <laughs> the woman is put in years to that place. And I thought, okay, well, this will be fun you know, in the back of my head too. And it was always like, I could continue doing some theater, but actually work in the theater. And then I'll do this for a little bit, pay some bills, kind of like be able to afford like my new Adidas jogging suit. Cause you know, I don't know why that came to my mind. <laughs> but I was thinking like, I used to wear matching, you know, Adidas suits. So I, I noticed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and, and then the idea to always return back to the stage, but that didn't happen. And I did some fringe shows, uh, summer works, uh, uh, did, you know, those, those, those fun weekend monologue slams with my friends. And um, the interest in that part of my life began to fade. And I, I would sit in the patron services because my, my career at Tarragon was actually really interesting because I sort of started in the box office but it propelled me to many other things over the years that I was yes. there. I, I got um, 
the Theater Ontario grant to work in the development office. I was really fortunate because my career in events was was greatly impacted through Tarragon because they offered me the opportunity to run the opening night parties and the, uh, the annual galas. I worked with fantastic development people, Jennifer and just to uh, Natasha, just to name a few. And, and I worked uh, on the events team. So it was like you were the patron service manager, but then you were also sort of events manager, but then I worked in development and I don't know, I just kept staying on at Tarragon. How long were you there? Five, more than five, five years? Six seasons? Yeah. I think almost six seasons. When I, I'll tell you, leaving Tarragon was actually not an easy thing to do. I know, I know. For several reasons, because you could sit in the Tarragon box office and some of the most amazing theater performers would be walking in the front door, going into the extra space, to the rehearsal space, to the main space, or honestly stopping in just to say hello. Like, the people that came through those doors were the people that I was reading in grade eight, grade nine, grade 10 into university, Morris Panich, like Daniel McIver, to name a few. I mean, you would, the door would open and, and people would swing in. And you're like, um, oh my God, yeah. like the shows, I mean, we'll, t- we'll talk to you because there was some, some good years, some bad years, yeah, uh, yeah. which everyone will admit, but it was a hard place to leave. And it was only because I had an unbelievable opportunity with Artscape to move into uh, to venues and more yeah. planning, which is because of Tarragon, one of the reasons I ended up falling in love with doing events, which is actually what I do now. I, I don't know if that really answers your question. It's funny because it's not often that I'm able to sort of relive that time but it was uh was it was a very interesting period oh yeah for me as well being there and i i mean i didn't i gotten you know i didn't love it a lot of the time it was so it's a wild wacky place and it was if anything weird is going on you just sort of have to deal with it yourself yeah however you choose to do it but I mean, just working like at the bar and stuff, I had conversations with people where I'd be like, and I just have like a 15 minute conversation with Jonathan Crombie, God rest his soul. But it's people like that. And you're like, wow, like we saw a lot of Canadian sort of legends saunter through the place, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and I think for those wild and wacky times, those moments sort of, you know, it made the the not so great times seem not so bad, even yeah. though some of them were bad. Some of and, them were would make your hair stand on end, but that's every small place, to be honest. It's place. you know that's a that's the small retail shop, the small yeah. catering company to you know the small theater company. And I, I agree with something you said. It's like everyone just tried to sort of deal with things as they came. But over time, it just, it, it, I felt it was always on that sort of incline of improvement. Like each right. year, new blood came in, new people to different departments. You know, for me, I was there uh, under the direction of Richard for the whole time. And, and, and we were lucky because Richard did his work. And then we had 
the all the other departments that sort of just sort of came through and for some reason we had we had these unbelievable plans and you'd go oh my god like that's that's unattainable but then somehow you would get through five main stage shows right. space shows a fringe festival on on top of the workshops and the public readings and everything and all of a sudden you're like how the hell did we do- did five people do that? <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what it felt no. like it was and there you- was not that many people no, there isn't. It, 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 and I think to, to this day, especially now, it's it's a small, it's still a small team. Yeah. And, you know, I it's funny. I, I think I can say this because the other day I actually, uh, I was asked to write um, a letter of recommend, rec- recommendation for someone that um, I had worked with there years ago. And I just came to their mind and they thought, you know what, we spent a lot of time together and I thought it'd be really nice. Would you mind doing this for me? And as I was writing, the letter of recommendation. It's funny that we're talking about this because I wrote the letter sort of almost trying to describe to the employer what this person would have had to have done to be in that world. And I use things like electric, you know, it was a constant buzz. It was you, you, you do one job, but at the drop of a what's the word drop of a hat drop of a hat that's it yeah that's it um you could be (laughs) not drop of a cat yeah not drop drop of a hat um you could literally be at a moment's notice asked to do something that is you know okay i guess what i'm trying to announce the subscriptions for the yeah but this was not you know when you know nowadays and I believe that everyone, you know, has to stand up for themselves. Um, but nowadays it's like, well, that's not in my job description. Mm. And the funny thing is, is I think, you know, and working in this industry, there's no job description. Like, <laughs> no, like, it's like, you have to be able to wear, mo- I'm using a lot of hat things. You have to wear, be able to wear a lot of hats. Because- oh yeah. And the job description never covers 20% of what you're actually going to do. <laughs> Well, and I don't feel like it really does anywhere, but particularly in a Particularly, yeah. You're going to be doing the job of three people. Yeah, and, you know, it was, again, like I used those words, like, it was electric. It was exciting. It was exhausting. It was everything you could imagine. And, again, I could be, like, I I keep coming back to it because I I don't know how to express... I think you get it. You're sitting in the freaking front office and someone that you have looked up to in the theater, in the Canadian theater world, walks through the front door and you're like, if you are that type of person, you are able to go, that made it worth it. You know, that patron screaming in my face because they were 15 minutes late felt really awful in the moment but then I was there's so many other things that make this beautiful and at the end of the day behind those rehearsal doors or the when a production's on magic is actually being created so you forget all of the crazy but you never really forget all the crazy no (laughs) you know you can't some things are burned into my memory forever but you know that's that's okay and that happens at every uh every job now 
the the fringe festival was a whole other can of of worms right because what you had to sit through was yes you're the patron services manager you're in the box office but what you're really doing is watching other people try to run their shit out of your box office which is kind of stressful well i i mean at the time you know uh, and and as you know i have some very close friends at the fringe festival however i can still say quite frankly the rule was you are a venue we are yeah. coming in and taking charge of your venue you're you're a, a, a effectively a babysitter for your building exactly um, let us move in and then you know the fucking shit storm began. Yeah. <laughs> and fringe, oh fringe festival is like i don't know and I mean, a shitstorm can still be viewed as something really beautiful and positive in a lot of ways, but it was a, what those people must have had to go through in that office, like especially at the early parts. To I know did that- feel bad for the for their box office manager with all the all the money that he was taking, or he or she. But one year I remember in particular, it was a male, and he he aged ten years in those two weeks, trying to sort out the receipts at the end of the night because most of it was still manual you couldn't pay with your debit card at the door or anything like I think you can do now you could pay it now you could pay it in advance it was all cash for everybody except it was like 30 how many shows they do in a day it was a lot because I'd be outside at the outdoor bar getting sunstroke and I would be checking off the shows in the catalog because they in the back every day they'd have it listed by venue Yes. And I yeah. check out, okay, one o'clock that show's done. So I'd know when the next crowd was coming out. Oh yeah. The good old, the, the yeah, terrible and I'd, tent. Yeah. And I'd, I'd know when they're central. recycling. Sunstroke <laughs> <laughs> central. Sun, yeah. Before, remember before they had the tent, that's when I was working it. And finally they were like, maybe we should put a tent over this. So the person doesn't die because also the shifts were always 12 to 14 hours. They were like, Oh yeah. 10 a.m. to like midnight. Yeah. By midnight, I'd just be like dragging my ass. <laughs> yeah, but, but wait a second. You'd yeah. be dragging your ass and With- then it would all be done. But remember you had to then chain everything up to the trees. So like oh, just yeah. when you thought the just last- Just when you think it's over. Just when you think it's over, it's like done. you have to reconcile and then chain everything up because years before things had been stolen. So yeah, yeah. oh my God. God love Natasha for, <laughs> for literally being at the helm of that ship for everything. Oh, I know. I, I was literally underneath her. And uh, that was fine by me because the, the humongous amount of responsibility um, and care that she put into that. But, but again, going back to the idea that the fringe was your client. Yes. And you were a building. And it just so happened that we, we just became almost glorified babysitters the problem is is that everyone sort of looks at the sort of um the surface of these kinds of things but and no one thinks about hmm what happens when two guys decide to come into the lobby strip naked true story yeah and roll on the carpet um pretend to wrestle and then go hide in the building see that's where you as the patron service managers have to be like mm, i have to protect my building and there are now naked people in yeah, it. yeah you I, turn into a bouncer and it, which you, is you, kind you, of scary sometimes and it was yeah scary. and yeah. i mean i'll tell you one thing 
there are definitely probably more episodes of just things, crazy things that have happened mm -hmm. in the world of theater in the dark hours of the night. My biggest thing was I, I can never understand why people behave a certain way in their home. I would imagine, you know, they, with their hygiene and, 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 and you know, they're put together, yet they can come to a public place. And, and let's be honest, I'm not talking about any theater specifically, but just in this case, Tarragon at the French Festival. It's like people became wild animals in the bathroom. Like they saw toilet paper for yep. the first time. <laughs> they, Those they, bathrooms, Jason. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh I my mean, God you, you literally, I mean, I, there was one point. Okay. I, I swear. It was fringe God, specifically. We should say it that. It's not like the washrooms were awful all the day. It was no, just, it, just, there fringe. were times I would go in myself and just be like, what just happened? And this is no, the, we, this is the ladies room. Okay, oh, like the oh, men's oh, room. I, okay, thank you for saying it because yeah. I was actually, I wanted you to say it was the ladies room before I did, but I got to tell you hands down, 95% <laughs> of the time, the ladies room was the most, I still, because don't forget, we were responsible for cleaning the, do you remember? Uh, yeah, I do we were remember. Actually, so, so they <laughs> of course had, I remember. They had, they had people to, um, they had people to do everything else. However, you are responsible for your bathrooms. Yeah. And I had to clean the bathrooms. I mean, bombs went off in those bathrooms. People would see I toilet know. paper and go, you know what? I think I'm going to decorate the entire, like people put Get poo on the wall. And, and did you uh, hear that? Poo. <laughs> this is getting cut poo. out. Of the <laughs> poo on the wall. I, 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 one day I will tell you privately the story of the painted poo wall. <laughs> I've already heard it, you Jack. <laughs> yeah, you totally have. But I mean, this literally is the shit. Yeah, <laughs> you need you need therapy for this. This is oh, bad. Total <laughs> I mean, I would have nightmares of poo walls, and like, if you like, and I thought at that time, why didn't we ever ask for a hazmat suit or like? Gloves, like, <laughs> gloves, or like, like think of like. I mean, we haven't gotten to it yet, but th like when I think of that now, I, I can't believe like even thinking of the like how the fringe, the bar was, and I was just opening all those drinks, handling everybody's cup, grabbing people's cups that were already used, and I was outside all day, and I didn't have hand sanitizer out there. Sorry, everybody who was who was at my bar, but. Yeah, now, but that would, it would be. Could you imagine? We never even thought about it. But now, we, to be but fair, it, I mean, I don't think it made anybody sick. But we weren't thinking about it. We no, I mean, it. we obviously, uh, you know, like when it came, certainly on the inside, we certainly had protocols and stuff like that. But at the Fringe Festival, I mean, the, the Fringe was it, a free for all. It, it, it kind of was because though Tarragon had their practices for, you know, getting like snacks and things like that. I mean, the beer was sponsored and yeah. the beer, uh, although, you know, sponsored to the Fringe and then people would buy it and they would make money good for them. And, but, you know, even the practices of like cleaning up the cans and going out of coolers and ice and all those things, like, it's not like they were against health and safety, but it's just, you are literally thrown into madness well, and I mean, for 11 days. Yeah, I, and the thing is, what I remember about it is if both, if both stage, 
there was two stages downstairs and one room upstairs where there were shows happening. And if any of those three got out near the same time, I couldn't put the drinks out fast enough for there to not be a huge line. Like we were just like, boom, 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 boom. We weren't thinking about wiping the, anything down. We no, were I grabbing, mean, the, pouring and giving. Cleaning our counters, yeah. making sure that the tables were clean. But you're right, like a show would come out or a show would go in and yeah. it was literally a hurricane. Yeah. And, and you know, with, with, um, with exception to the beer tents at sort of the Honest Ed's Alley, I think Tarragon, there was only a few that actually, maybe Tarragon and yeah. Factory that you could actually that you sit, could get booze. Yeah. Beer or a glass of wine. So well, most of the like, theaters were way closer to the to the Honest Ed's thing. That was yeah. part of it. Like we were so far north that we yeah. sort of had to have a separate bar. Yeah. But uh it made things exciting. Oh, I mean it, it was. And and yeah, it was a different time because like I mean, nowadays, I mean you couldn't even like it's funny, the people that would come to the bar that were worried about any extra sanitation would have little bottles of their own that's even when sanitizer was like something that people well you know i was addicted to sanitizer yeah um i should have bathing in it i used to bathe in it all the time but even well before the fringe or yeah it was nothing to do with fringe you know most people would sort of you would see maybe one out of 25 one little old lady might (laughs) sanitizer sanitizer. (laughs) times have changed like certainly but obviously yeah, it's, uh, man, it's funny thinking about that because although it was so different when you're a performer or just like a young kid eager in the big city of Toronto going to one of the largest festivals, like you just, you you never look at things like this, but then when you work the, the flip side of it, you know what, maybe it's a time in my life I don't really want to relive too much because I'm worried that the nightmares may start again, like... Because I do think I suffered some PTSD from those experiences, but yet for some reason, sign me up every summer. We were back. I mean, and you were back. I kept coming back. Well, listen, I'd work. I'd work. First of all, she couldn't get anybody to work those long shifts to the point where now I don't think they are that long anymore. They split them up. But I would go down there. I think I'd go down there three or four days in a row and work that 14th. fucking hour they and then i'd be delirious by the end of it but i made some good money yeah tips right the tips if you kept selling beer all day yeah not bad right 50 Um, cents here a buck here at that time you have some people that splurged a little bit and you know i the final time i went back and this now i'm going to sound like a an 80 year old woman but i went back the last time i went back you were actually gone you had you had left i went back yep. one last time because i'd actually i'd skipped the year before and they were just like we really need people can you work a couple days so i thought eh, what the hell so i went down but the whole system had changed to these touch screen i used to just make the change in my head and yeah, let me tell i fucking hated it i hated oh, it the it just slowed me down I yeah. didn't want to do the, the, you had to do credit cards on the thing. And I was just like, now the line is ultra stressful because everything is moving so slowly. And it was still just you. Oh, I yeah, think they also perfect. changed it now. Now I think it's two people because one person has to ring the people out. One person has to pour the drinks. And I was just like, and I did it and I got through it, but I was like, that's, that's the end of that chapter. I, I was done. 
Do you remember though, I, I, I have to say, cause I, this just came up in my memory bank. Do you remember when we had the system that, because we all had cell phones. And again, another thing like that you would normally not ask people, but nowadays it's oh, like- Oh, I had some horrible phone. T9 cell phone too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. terrible. And if you needed help or whatever, you would text the patron service yeah. manager. And I now just remember seeing a lot of Jason, Jason. I would just you. lean in the door. Yeah, Jason. Jason, and Jason I need beers. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my defense, okay. In my honest defense, I have to say that one of the first GMs that I worked with at the theater specifically said to us, listen, you don't stop for so many months of the year and you're getting paid obviously to babysit the building. But I also want you to be able, like, I think this is when the first streaming services really started to happen. Like she would say, catch up on your television shows, read a book. I mean, I'm not saying that she was ever saying like, ignore the workers <laughs> like, I mean, outside. Anne needs eight cases of beer, but I'm watching Downton Abbey right now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, admittedly, I got a little bit comfortable with sort of kicking up my, my Chelsea heels and like not looking at my phone. So funny. <laughs> But listen, I'll tell you one thing, one thing. So, okay. So, but I, I'm giving her credit because she was so good about us finding some downtime. Maybe I took a little bit of advantage of that, but I'll tell you one thing. I had bathroom duty, as you know, but one thing that I was really good with and everyone will say is I was on garbage and recycling duty, like nobody's business. I carried more garbage and recycling from the Tarragon building to the, to the dumpsters than any worker combined in the history of that theater. Cause I like cleaning up some garbage, you know yeah, that. You like taking and, and out the trash. I, like I saw, I saw that metaphorically, literally. You got famous, famous for, to me. You're famous with one person and that's me. Because after we'd worked for about 10 hours one day, a lady or a gen, maybe a gentleman came up to you a with, a, with a very helpful tip that you responded to with full suppressed rage. It was a particularly demanding day. Subscription orders were starting to come in. Like it was, it was honestly, it was a bad day. And it was like, is it, and this was when it was the old box office before Richard okayed the renovations. Oh, I've never, I never worked there when there was a new box office. So yes. That's the ones where you had to take the big windows down. Yeah. The door. Windows and the door. Yeah. And this man, for some reason, I, I guess in his defense, you know, looking back at it, he was trying to be helpful. But you know, there's always those people that are trying to be helpful. And I think in their head, they're like, oh, this might not go over really well, but I just feel compelled to to be an asshole in like you. And I mean, oh, I don't think he was thinking it wouldn't go over well. I think he was telling you to to step up. Well, I mean, and if- Because I was there, it was awesome. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I think you know better than anyone that I'm not really good at hiding my feelings. On <laughs> so I watched this man walking up to me and leaned into the ledge, like 
past the past where it's like you're not allowed to put your face through the hole yeah but he came like like floaty head came in and he's like excuse me your recycling is overflowing i feel like i was in there because we were settling like it was you were late beside me you were standing yeah. beside me but it and- was late like we were almost done and i feel like it was like yeah we haven't emptied the fucking shit yet you know what i mean like it was it was at night but yeah, like was, I felt like he, he was did it very cash. Like he was like, mm, by the way. And I was just like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> and then my flary nostrils. And I, yeah. I know there was a lot Your of like, bared teeth. And I felt real rage. I know. I thought you were going to have a heart attack. <laughs> like, and by the way, I don't think that's the first time you thought I was going to have a heart attack. Or- <laughs> I think I actually did suffer minor heart attacks there, probably, but remember taking a deep breath and I remember it sounded like this. Is it? Like, (laughs) with fire coming out of your mouth. But I kind of leaned right into him and I was like, I was, you, I think you had to calm me down. Yeah, I was was like, okay, okay. Calm down. Get it. We'll 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 oh it. god it's that end of the day kick in the balls that is so common at a festival like that where you're just like th- again like we just said it's like thank god this shit is over and then somebody just comes up gives you a little tap in the balls yeah just a little yeah. little tap on the <laughs> left ball like this just sets you just fucking right over the edge eh? is it? a little yeah, is it and i i still say is it to this day like that's <laughs> It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Nobody understands what it is, but that's what that's what a podcast is for. Wouldn't it be such an unbelievable thing if you could handpick from every department all the people that you found special, even not even that you found special, just like the hard work, whatever, and put that team together again. And the minute that those doors open, hit that season together. Like, wouldn't that just be a remarkable thing to do? And I actually thought, you know what, it would. Yeah. I wouldn't do it now, but I, when you sort of have those little moments of dreaming, it was like, I probably would do whatever I could to help that place out because I actually loved it. But man, I've got some great stories from from my time in the theater. Yes. And now now let's let's even though that's just a, a slice of the past, let's jump to the present. Yeah. Because you've been just recently working on uh in TV. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say right now. Which event, no, we won't say what you were working on, but that's, that was, was that your first television show? Uh, yeah, I did. I did uh, two television shows uh, this summer. Very two good. reality shows this summer. Um, the first two to go back from what I understand uh, under the um, COVID protocols and restrictions, like filming under the sort of new guidelines. So I spent a big chunk of the summer into the early part of the fall working in TV, my first time, yeah. Now, when you when COVID hit, were you already between gigs or did you leave something when that uh, happened? 
Yeah, I was. So it would have been uh, mid to late March of last year. Yeah, mid to late March, I was leaving a project. Uh, I had I because I have moved full into freelance, mm-hmm. um, and also I'm now a, an efficient. My whole sort of events industry world that I've been doing for several years, um, I'm now sort of refocusing that, and I I studied and and became. Um, a reverend. And so I was sort of like in between gigs and then went smack into the pandemic Yeah, as an event planner and efficient. And there's no work, right? Like there's literally, like I, I went into a pandem- the pandemic with no career, except some amazing freelance clients that I'm, that I'm working with. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you did get, you got the TV shows. That's what yes, is amazing the- about you is that you're doing one thing and you end up picking up. Oh, that was so, a stream so- of a career. That's and That is what I- has always been remarkable about you. Cause you've been doing that as long as I've known you. I know. It's, it's like, really- Oh, I just picked this up. And you're like, what the hell? How yeah, did- I don't know. I feel really <laughs> like happen. that. I know it's, it's, <laughs> it's weird because it's funny. I don't ever like you'll say that, and like Mike will say that to me, or certain friends will be like Jay. Like it's really interesting. Like you were just in the middle of something, getting out of something really bad at the time, and then something you always wanted. Like I have always wanted to work on a crew on the production team in television and like reality television sign me up i was just literally sitting there one day a friend called me and said i'm working on so and so i'm still part of the team i'm moving out i really think you would do well in this job based on your past in the theater patron services working in the food and, and coordination yeah like right? it all came together and i'm like yeah, like it sounds too good to be true because as you know, like getting into television, you don't just get in. Like maybe you do. I don't know. Like in my mind, it's like you got to pay your dues and and start anywhere. Like, and and again, like if that means running and doing errands, driving 14 hours, yeah. like, I would do all that. But this just kind of like was almost like just brought to me. And then I went through uh, an interview process, uh, met a certain amount of members of the team. And um, yeah, I got, I, I landed the, the first job. And then two weeks into the, the shooting schedule of the first show, I was offered the second show that was shooting right afterwards. And I'm like, oh my God, like, Jeez. and man, that probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like just because also like hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but then you put it during a pandemic because you got to understand, right? We were all told you have to stay home and no one knew exactly why or what or how or where someone like me. And like, we always joke, like, you know, I don't stop. Even if I've got nothing to do, I make it look like I have 18 things that I'm doing just to keep myself moving because I'm spastic like that. So I had been home literally all March, all April into May, like, and, and not doing an event and not like seeing shows and not seeing friends like everyone else. But I'm just saying like, I, I was kind of like saying to, to, to my husband, Mike, I would be like, Mike, like, I don't know. I think I'm sick. Like, I can't figure out. I just feel lethargic. And he's like, Jason, it's because your body isn't moving. So I had this, right. like, like everyone, a serious amount of downtime And then all of a sudden the contract started for the show and it was like, get up at four o'clock in the morning, shoot all day, head back to the hotels, get 
everyone settled in, do your whole end of day report, have a little bit of time for yourself to eat some really shitty food. Because like, even though we had our own apartments, it, we were so fortunate. We had our own apartments with kitchens and- Well, they have to keep everybody sort of cloistered, right? Like well, you had that, to be- and, and you, we were literally learning the rules of the restrictions as we were doing it. But I, I guess my point was, and I have to tell you, even though there will always be funny moments and crazy stories, the team that I worked with on this show were some of the smartest, strongest, talented. Like there's so many words that I could think of to describe them. It was an unbelievable experience. It literally is one of the fondest work experiences I have ever had. And that isn't to say that there wasn't crazy moments. I mean, it's television. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I walked into it having never done it, but I was so... Um, I was so fortunate to have obviously a friend that had done the job for several years. Yeah. Yeah. So I had some background, uh, you know, what to avoid, what not to avoid, what you should do. Don't overthink this. Don't get, don't get too overwhelmed with it. Like I really had that, but again, it's like anything else. You don't really know how you're going to be until you get into it. And it was crazy days. Like there were days that I don't even remember the day because, you, you know, I go by my Fitbit. Like I literally would, I set a goal of like 10 to 12,000 steps and I would be getting back to the residence apartment at the hotel at night after everything was said and done. And I would look at my Fitbit and I was like 32,000 steps. Like it yeah. was like in a pandemic, in a heat wave, in a humongous warehouse space, taking care of all of the contestants, meeting all of these different departments. Like, man, what an unbelievable world. I think this episode title should actually be taking it to the limit. Oh yeah. With Jason Chalou. <laughs> Some people like to say Chalou. Chalouzer. Chalouzer. Chalulu. Now, Jason, yeah. I only have a few more minutes to go. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you... Here's what I think with this pandemic, I think that by the time we cross the finish line, which let's, let's be cheerful and say November. Yeah. I think that so many people, especially in the arts, but maybe even generally are not going to be in the position they were when this started. And not just because they have been laid off. I think that people are going to, leave in droves from this industry. Yeah. I, so I, where I, do you see yourself crossing the finish line to this thing? And you don't have to stay, you're going to stick with it just for the, the sake of the podcast, because I don't think any of us really. Oh, I don't think anyone wants to hear, you, you know, like let's, let's no yeah. bullshit. Let's just get yeah. to the point. I mean, I have seen, so many things unfold on social media. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a little bit of an addict, as you know, I, 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 you know, I look at it a lot and I'm seeing performers, I'm seeing people from our industry openly discussing the heartbreak of losing their careers, yeah. openly discussing the fact that they have no idea when or if they're going to return but on top of that as well there's a lot of um like um, emotional turmoil that 
is affecting not only stage performers, but obviously the crews, the technical, like every aspect of all of these industries. And on top of that, people are seeing other people's behavior unfold. And um, I, I'm a little bit appalled by some of the, the, the stuff that I'm seeing, the, the sort of truth that's coming out. And I, you know, there's a lot of people that are speaking their mind and stuff, but a lot of people are almost airing a lot of dirty laundry. Yeah. It's an airing of grievances. Is, yeah. Is it's also an airing happening. of grievances because now it feels like it's the time to do so. And listen, you know, I will always be the first person to stand up for anyone being called out for doing something horrific or, or bad as they should. It took a lot to already stay in this industry when things were good. You and I've talked a lot and in the past of, I mean, as simply as coming down to the fact of putting bums into seats, like that's the, that's something that Richard Rose talked to me a lot about at my time at Tarragon was how do we get more bums in the seats? How do we get more people interested in what we're doing? And that was a problem before, well before this. Um, That's always been the challenge. A lot of things have closed. There's not gonna be as much money. Uh, Not that there ever is or was a lot Mm -hmm. of money. So I think the pool is actually getting smaller and smaller. And um, I, I, I know a few people that come hell or high water are in it to win it. Like they're staying here to be back on that stage. But I think a lot of people are tired. I honestly think people are exhausted. I think I, so too. I love the theater. I love being immersed in it. But, but I'm only a small fraction. I'm only that little guy that still thinks about it and still <clears throat> loves to buy a ticket on Broadway or, or any to see anything, but these people and some of our really good friends and you yourself being a director, so many people we know, this is everything that they know, everything that they live and breathe. Like I could name 10 people right now that they, they are the most extraordinary performers and to even get through the good times were still painting houses in between gigs on television and yeah. they're the, and you know, and they fight and fight and fight and they're broken. These people that their only reason to breathe is to, to be immersed in performing or art. It's all been taken care of, uh, taken away from them. So I see them creating these unbelievable things on social media and, and, and doing zoom and stuff. But that's also gotten, they're tired too, like their heart's tired, their soul's tired, and people are tired. I've watched my friends start these really great online productions, this and that. And at the very beginning, of course, we all wanted to support. Of course, we could throw 10 bucks to an online ticket or support. But we, we all individually have to support dozens and dozens and dozens of people. So not only financially is that tough on everyone, emotionally, we're all fucking tired. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't even know if that answers it. Like I'm, I'm worried. Like I'm, I, I'm, 
I know that certain places are going to survive. A lot, some of them own their buildings, so they will get back on track. They have been fortunate enough to keep their teams working at home. There's, there's a number of amazing companies out there, and I don't just mean theater that are keeping their workers safe at home because they know they'll come back to this. But I'm really worried about the I, little I guys. Know. The little guys, the little guys are what feed the big guys. And that's what I don't think people understand is that if we lose all the, you know, the factories and the tarragons, there's no Stratford because if you can't start anywhere, you can't get up there. And that's what I think people don't. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's a, that's a bummer to say. No, no, but I got chills when you said that. Sorry, I interrupted you towards the end, but when you were saying like, I don't think people really realize that. And I actually got goosebumps when you said that because I, God, this sounds so, and I'm being, I'm being like honest when I say this, I actually don't want to be in a city without, tarragon and factory and no i don't either and like i don't well what's the point of the place what's the point of a toronto if you don't have those theaters and that that nightlife and that entertainment because that's what we're living in right now and it's not very pleasant that's a real question and i think one that we have to really dig a little bit more deep in like moving forward just as people like what are we going to do when those geniuses those crazy geniuses those even the performers that are amazing and the performers that suck and they know they suck like there are people that are great and and horrible on stage we all know that but if that's their dream and that's what they live i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything about them constantly being out there trying to create and tell their stories and stuff and to have a city without that to me man it's not worth it i don't know because you're right Without all of these beautiful places, you are not going to have the Stratford. You cannot have these other festivals. I mean, they thrive off of, of these things, these people, these creators. I, I don't know, Anne. I, I mean, it's funny because I literally got chills when you said that because that would really be horrible. I, I don't think it'll ever die. And the, the one upside I can see is that I think it will take a dip. And by the time it comes back, we might be actually older again. I think it's going to take years to this is going to take a long time to really recover from. And what I hope is that it will, it will force the doors open for young blood, more diverse blood, which is what we're trying to force right now. But a lot of old white people will knock it out of the way. And this may actually knock them out of the way. I absolutely oh, new so. blood in. And that's what I sort of cling to because yeah. I do think we're going to take a short term serious hit, but in the long term new exciting things we may never have thought of or seen before in our generation might sprout up. I think that this will be a major catalyst for this sort of change. I was very proud to leave the theater at a time sort of working in that sort of admin to to sit back and watch at a time when I started to see those people fighting for diversity. And I, I started to see those groups coming together and wanting to see something different on the stage. And so I believe those fires really started. And, and I think that this has, because everything that's happening in the world, I think um, this will ignite a fire. Um, and I do think it's going to take a lot of years for us to get there. But I do believe we'll see that in our time because I think it has to happen. Yeah. And those people, 
and everyone who hears this will know of those people that are out there fighting for that change, for that diversity to come into our industry. Um, and I just hope it blows up and becomes the norm. This will be a catalyst for saying, we're gonna do this and we, we have to do it better now. As someone said to me the other day, they were so down in the dumps about this pandemic. And oh my God, what are we going to do when we get back to real life, regular life? God, I hope it's never regular the way it was. Again, I think there's people needed to change. Um, I think people are going to want to celebrate I think people are going to want to celebrate their city. I it's going to be Great Gatsby, let me tell you, the first month. Yeah, I think it's going to be, and while that presents its own challenges and that <laughs> be logistically scary, the yeah. idea if the right people with the right um, reasons are coming out to celebrate and to be joyous and to create art again and to sing and dance. We're And I'm telling you right now, we're going to see a lot of singing and dancing in the street. And it's not just going to be God Love the Pride Festival or all the other great festivals in the city. It's literally just going to be people that are going to grab a tall boy of beer and go out and dance in the streets with their friends. Yeah. And I can't wait for that day because I think that is also going to spark an even greater sense of creativity in people so that the places like Artscape and Tarragon and Factory Theater and oh my God, there's so many others are just gonna blossom again because people are gonna have so much to talk about, but please, for the love of God, <laughs> I don't want the Fringe Festival to be just about- One man shows about being alone in the pandemic. Yeah. It's gonna be. That's all put it's gonna the, be. That's all that it's gonna be. Shit, put that shit up on your Instagram. I'm gonna be the first in line for a ticket, Jason. So I'm oh, gonna I'll be watching you your one-man show. Yeah, yeah, my one. My <laughs> but honestly, like, I'm like, put that shit up on your YouTube's and <laughs> your your geek tubes, like whatever it is. But for the love of God, please don't everyone write a show about how the pandemic affected them. Ten percent. They're going oh, to okay. Jason. We're gonna be. Oh, there. I know. We're gonna be there in the front row. But you know we're gonna buy tickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And then we're gonna tell everyone that their recycling is overflowing. That's yeah. Let's just go terrorize the festival. <laughs> that wow. sounds good. I'm gonna go out to that bar and be like, "How many diet cokes do you have? Because well, I'm purchasing all of them." I owe you a dollar twenty-five. <laughs> Remember how much shit I used to get into for my IOUs in the little piggy bank? Yes. Uh, Jason, you actually have to, we have to, you know, reconcile. Yeah, you just drank $20 worth of Diet Cokes. Can you? And washed it down with some salty peanuts. <laughs> Sitting in the 40 degree weather. Oh, this is good stuff. Jason, uh, yeah. you're such a delight. Oh, I love you. And I, so I wish fun. you all the very best in whatever whatever dystopian future lies <laughs> ahead of us with the great Gatsby, uh, you know, uh, chandelier hanging down over. Uh, young you know, just like, like you said before, you're probably going to hear from me and find out that I'm working on a cruise ship for six months for some random. Doing high kicks. Doing, doing, <laughs> doing high kicks. In the Donnie and Marie review. <laughs> One. 
<laughs> just you. <laughs> this was so much fun. So I hope one day you'll have me back. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll come to you live from the cruise ship. Yeah, you can be a regular. Now, if you enjoyed my premiere Zoom green room, subscribe, leave me a review. If you didn't like it, press those dark feelings down deep inside like Jason and I right. to discuss in a couple of decades, but keep it to yourself. <laughs> Thanks, bye.